Live by faith. May your faith truly be a dependence lived on your God. May our worship be lit up as we celebrate the God who is not keeping himself secret, but he's making himself clear. Well, good morning. Great to see you guys here. We are, I'm excited to be jumping into a new series here. Uh, and uh, it's, it's just been uh, awesome. I'm actually, I was waiting for the lights to come up so I could actually see you all out there is what I was just doing. But uh, uh, just so excited to be uh, launching into this series here, Live by Faith. We've spent some time over the past couple of months in the book of Habakkuk and in the series, How Long? And uh, really just been rocked by uh, one of those Old Testament books that maybe you haven't spent a lot of time in previously. But if you remember back in uh, Habakkuk 2 verse 4, there's a phrase there that says, the righteous shall live by faith. And that, that's really kind of the premise here of, of today, this message here is we're going to kick off this series, Live by Faith. And what we're going to find here over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at a number of different examples of what it looks like to live by faith. And just super excited as we look at many of the Old Testament uh, examples where we see faith lived out with a lot of very practical application of, of how we can be living by faith uh, day in and day out in our lives as well. And so super excited about that. Gra- glad to be kicking off this series here, uh, Live by Faith. And I want to invite you, uh, if you got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. And uh, we're going to jump right into things here in Romans 1. Uh, we see... Um, Here Paul is writing this book here, this letter to the believers in Rome. And uh, he starts off with an introduction there in the first few verses. And and then we see kind of verses uh, 8 through 15 where he's really just talking to them and saying, look, I've really been wanting to come to you. And I've, had, I've made plans to come to you and been looking forward to being able to be with you, to teach, to share the gospel with you. But up to this point, the, the God had been preventing him from that. And so he was super excited to, to be able to be, uh, eventually be with these believers in Rome and, and to share the gospel with them. And uh, verse 13 kind of says, uh, but I didn't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you and thus been prevented. In verse 14, he says, I'm under no obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, but to the wise and the foolish, but I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also, those in Rome. And so Paul was saying, look, I, I really am, am desirous of this. And just haven't, it hasn't worked out according to God's timing and God's plan quite yet. And that's kind of where we pick up there in this passage. And if you're taking notes, uh, uh, the point number one is to respond to God and his righteousness through faith. To respond to God and his righteousness through faith. And Paul jumps right in then with verse 16 here. With a, uh, just one of those powerful verses in scripture. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And Paul says, look, I've been wanting to come to you and I've been wanting to share the gospel and and that I, just so you know, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Paul was saying, I'm not reluctant here. I'm, I'm not being bashful about sharing the gospel. And you got to remember, man, all that Paul had already been through. And, and, and the beatings and the arrests and imprisonment and shipwreck and all of the um, really almost consequences that he had already experienced of, of sharing the gospel and all of the persecution that had taken place. But Paul was basically telling him, look, I am not deterred by that. I'm excited to share the gospel. I am not ashamed to share the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. Paul recognized that the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ, that he lived a perfect life, that he was God, he was man, lived that perfect life, that he died for our sins and rose again on the third day. That he was resurrected and he offers that resurrection to us, the gospel message. He says, it is the power of God. It's interesting, that, that Greek word that we see, dunamis, uh, there, this is a Greek word. We, we get the, actually in English the word dynamite from. That's the kind of power that was talking about here. It's the power of God. It's an amazing, only God's power is enough to deal with our sin. We couldn't possibly do it ourselves. Our sin leaves us live fall way short of God's perfection and holiness. We, 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 were, we were, we are a mess because of our sin. But the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the power of God. It is his power to deal with our sin. It's the power of God for salvation. That salvation, that, that, that rescue, that deliverance, the gospel, it, 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 it rescues us from the consequences of our sin. And the consequences of our sin is, is a separation for eternity from a holy God. And it's a punishment that goes along with that because of sin. But that salvation, that rescue, the deliverance that is offered through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. I recognize the power of the gospel for salvation to whom? To all who believe. To everyone who believes. Everyone who, who, who puts their faith, their trust, their reliance to depend upon the work of Jesus Christ. And so there's a prerequisite for the gospel, for salvation, and Paul's making it clear it is belief, it is faith in Jesus Christ. We just, we jumped right into this powerful gospel message here in this verse and, and this belief here. It means embracing and, and acting upon a belief an assurance of, what, of the work of Jesus Christ in offering salvation to us. Real faith always produces obedience. It's, it's more than just the intellectual ascent. We're going to get to this and, and really in point number two even uh, with the knowledge. But it's actually put, putting your faith, your, your reliance, trusting in that and it leads to action. It leads to obedience. And 
we come to that through faith. He goes on and he says this, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And we see here that to all who believe, whether the Jew first, which the gospel went out, or to the Greek, to that Greek-speaking world, really all of Gentiles here. And he goes on and says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The, the righteousness, the what is right and pleasing to God. That word righteousness, actually the, the root word in the original language, it's the same root word that we get justification from. To be justified, to be, to be righteous there. It's the same root word. There are similar meanings in that. And it's being in, in right standing and being pleasing to God. There, the righteousness of, of God is revealed. God has shown that out. He's passing that on. And we see here from faith for faith. We see that that is passed on to those who have faith, who pass on to those who have faith, who pass on to those who have faith, and in all of that showing the righteousness of God. That righteousness that, that is placed upon us. We could never be good enough. Do we understand that? Our sin has left us in a place we could never do it on our own. The righteousness that we have is, is the righteousness of God that is imputed, that's placed upon us. When God sees me, he doesn't see me and my sin. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ that covers my sin. It's his righteousness that is placed upon me. And then from that faith to others of faith and others of faith from beginning to end, here is the idea with that. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Literally what that phrase is saying, or we, we could phrase it this way, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. The one who by faith is righteous, because of our faith in Jesus Christ and his righteousness, the one who is righteous by faith shall live. The righteous shall live by faith. Again, that's that phrase that we see repeated from Habakkuk chapter 2. We'll, also, we'll see that, that phrase there in two other New Testament places there in, in Galatians 3 and Hebrews 10 as well. The righteous shall live by faith. God's righteousness imputed upon us and that comes through faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. Through faith, we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ through faith. So what is faith? What's a good definition of faith? And we see a great definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Let me just read this to you. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the confidence of the things that will come and the things that have been promised. It's having that confidence in what was said will be. And the things hoped for and the things that, that have been promised. 
And not only that, it's the conviction of things not seen. It's, it's the trust, the dependence upon the one who made the promise. Faith, it's, it's believing and relying upon what will take place and has been promised because we have confidence in the one who made the promise. Does that make sense? Our faith is based on the one we just sang who is faithful. The one who has made promises and over and over and over has shown himself to be faithful and to fulfill those promises. So literally to sum up here this first point, the idea here is to those who are pleasing to God, the righteous will have an active dependence and confidence in God. Let me say that again, to sum it up here, to those who are pleasing to God will have an active dependence upon and confidence in God. An active and ongoing, not just a one-time experience, but will continue to believe and continuing to believe. So as I was meditating and kind of working through a, a lot of this this week and, and really what that looks like in faith and looking, at really just reflecting and, and praying, Lord, how, how is my faith right now? I, I kind of was trying to think through, sir, what, what are, in, at least in my life, some warning signs? I, I like to say it's kind of like the, the lights on the dashboard here. When something's not right, when our faith isn't right, what, what, what's, what, what's a warning sign that maybe our faith may be wavering in some way? And here, here's some things that I came up with. Um, one of the first ones I thought of is that of worry. Worry or fear. And I see in my life, it may be something as, as a general anxiety at one end of the spectrum to sometimes it could even lead to at the other end of the spectrum, a paralyzing fear. And I see that many times in my life, this anxiety, this, this fretting that, that goes on is, is really due to it. It's a lack of faith in, in, in my uh, in my life at that time, do I really trust that God's going to protect or provide in, in, in this instant? Can, can I really trust God in that? Which then many times leads to the next thing, and that is control. Control. So I must be in charge. I've got to work this out. I've got to take and I've got to handle this here Otherwise, it just may not get done. I can't trust anybody but myself in this. Many times we say it a lot in counseling, high fear leads to high control. Whether it be worry to fear, control, and then another area in my life I see is impatience. I, I, I want it done according to my timing. And, I, and I'm struggling to, to wait on what God may be doing in his timing. And a lot of times I don't really think it out that far. But in essence, that's, that's exactly what is taking place is I want it and I want it in my timing. Because this makes sense to me. And then another area is isolation from God. 
isolation from God. A lot of times, maybe from a lack of prayer. Right? Philippians 4, 6 tells us to put our anxieties, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. We're to take those worries, those anxieties, and take it to the Lord, the one who can actually fix it. But yet, I, I, I will at times isolate from. And so what happens, and so often maybe you can relate with this, is whatever is going on, and I'm trying to work the problem, and really God is nowhere in the equation at all. Not even on my mind in that moment. It's a good indication of of possibly a lack of faith. Worry, fear, control, impatience, isolation from God. You know, I was thinking back about this, and I was reminded... uh, Pastor Tim mentioned I'm a missions pastor, and uh, up until a number of months ago, uh, was uh, privileged to be able to do a lot of traveling and to be involved with uh, uh, a lot of different ministries internationally, hoping to get back into the swing of things very soon. Um, But I was telling someone a week ago, actually, the first time I ever went on a missions trip was when uh, it was the first year I was a youth pastor back in 1993. And we went to the Dominican Republic. And, and I was thinking, though, this past week, the second missions trip I ever took, and my wife and I took a group of high school students down to Costa Rica. And we were in the San Juan, Costa Rica area. And uh, we were there for a little over a week. And we were working in a refugee um, it was kind of almost a town that had developed in the middle of, of San Jose, Costa Rica. There was about 30,000 Nicaraguan refugees that had just kind of squatted on public land and had made this little town there. And, and I'll tell you what, this place was rough. This was, you know, cardboard walls and, and, and things for, for houses and, and no sanitation and water sewage just kind of running through the streets. In the middle of that, though, a fella had, a Hispanic gentleman from the States had come down and had actually planted a church right in the middle of this refugee uh, community there in, in San Jose. And so we were kind of partnering with this church and doing a, doing a lot of outreach and stuff uh, each day throughout there, doing some work projects and a lot of uh, just day after day working in this refugee community. And we were staying with uh, a, a family and they had a larger house. So the whole family or our, our whole group is able to stay with their family. And one afternoon though, the pastor of that church had to go and left and had to go somewhere. And uh, we were left to kind of wait for our ride to show up from the, the, the guy who we, whose house we were staying at. And it's, it's interesting because it was kind of one of those moments that uh, I still remember so vividly and really had a pretty, uh, pretty big impact in my life. Because as we were there waiting for an hour, and then we were waiting for about an hour and a half. And then we were waiting for two hours and we'd been doing stuff with the high school kids and we'd been kind of keeping busy. And then finally we were all just kind of crashed. And I never forget, I was laying on one of the benches there in this church and it was going on over two hours and no ride was showing up. And the realization just dawned on me, if he doesn't come, I'm in big trouble. We're in big trouble. I don't really know where I'm at. I definitely don't know where, 
how to go to where we're staying. I don't speak the language. I can't even get any help from anyone. I, we are completely dependent on them coming to pick us up. And it was kind of one of those moments of kind of panic and then kind of just resolution that, well, I hope somebody comes. <laughs> and and it, it was just one of those things that all of a sudden I realized while well, I was completely out of my comfort zone, that's really the way it is all the time in life. I like to think we're in, I'm in control, but we're not. Actually, that trip had such a profound impact. I, I started taking more and more missions trips because they scared me. And my faith grew immensely when I was out of my comfort zone. I knew I needed that. And, and more and more, my faith was grown through that. Now, let me ask you, how's your faith as you check the dashboard there, some of those things, how is your faith right now? How's your continual dependence upon and trusting in God? Or this week, were you trying to control things? Trying to step in and make sure it happens according to your timing and not waiting on God. How's your faith and trust in God? Maybe... You need to establish a faith in God. Have you ever come to the place where you've admitted that you were a sinner, that you believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day, and you've actually confessed him as Lord and said, Lord, you are in charge of my life. Where you actually had that moment of belief. And then if you have how has your faith walk been this past week? Point number two, choose wisely. Choose wisely. God has clearly revealed his eternal power and divine nature. Verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. For the wrath of God, the last couple of weeks as we ended Habakkuk in chapter 3 here, this theme of the wrath of God, the mercy of God, it just kept coming up here as we see the, this, the wrath of God. It's, it's God's determined indignation. It's God's just response to sin, to our sin, to ungodliness, to those who, who, who lack a, a reverence for or a worship of God, literally the ungodly, the unrighteous, it's those who stand in opposition to God. Do we understand that? Because of our sin, we are standing in opposition to God. And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. All of a sudden, we, we see this from God against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so there's this, as, as they stand against God, we see then that the truth then begins to, to be suppressed, to be pushed down, to be rationalized, to be hidden away, to be justified. God has revealed himself through many different ways, and we're going to see one of those here, is God has revealed himself through his creation, 
We, we see God revealed through, we call that general revelation that all can see the, the, the fact that there is a God, a creator God. Not only that, God has placed a conscience within man. God has given us his word and special revelation where he has specifically laid out the things that he wants us to have, to know. But we see because of the unrighteousness, the truth is suppressed. The truth is, is hidden away, is pushed aside. Verse 20 here, or verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For what has been known of God, what he has shown to all is evident. It's available. All can see evidence of God for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So the idea there is, is that as we look around, is as you see all of creation, everywhere you look, you see design, you see creativity, you, you see uh, it really in his power and his attributes here, in, in his order and the justice and love and common grace and all that, that, that we can see that points to a creator God. The evidence of a God, of the truth that there is a creator is evident for all to see is, is what Paul's saying. And then he ends with, so they are without excuse. Everybody say without excuse. Yeah. We are without excuse. There is no excuse, Paul is saying, to not see the created world and all this take place and see that there is a God, which leads us then to the recognition and we are accountable to him. And there's the rub, right? There's the rub. If we can just dismiss that there was a creator, if we can just dismiss that there is a God, then I'm no longer accountable to him. And I can just do what I want and live the way I want. The truth is suppressed. But he goes on and says, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. For though they knew God, although they knew, and, and this, this word here, uh, gnosko is the Greek word. I'll just tell you, if you ever take Greek, this was the first week, one of the first vocabulary words I ever learned was this word to know. And it's just a general to perceive, to see and perceive. Although they can see God, they can see that there is a God. Although they knew God, it says that they did not honor him or give thanks. Even though they could see the magnificence of creation, the design, the creativity, it didn't lead to worship. It didn't lead to a reverence. It didn't lead to an, oh my, how awesome must this creator be? And not only that, it did not lead to a thankfulness. And thank you for what you have given to us through your creation. 
And we see that it did not lead to thanksgiving, but instead became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It says instead they dismiss it, they suppress it, and it just becomes more and more dark as they rationalize and justify and try to get away from being accountable to a holy, righteous God. You know, we, we see the, the importance of, of gratitude. Why so often do I, do I struggle with, 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 with gratitude, with being able to say thanks for things that are going on? I, I thought about that, and I, is, is it just being entitled, thinking I just deserve it? Is, is it just a superiority that, that, uh, that I'm, I'm just better or should have that? Or is it just a general arrogance that, that I don't need help with this? I can, I can do it myself. Whatever that is, we see the condition of man is an ungratefulness, even though we can see all of creation. In verse uh, 22, he goes on and he says, uh, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Boy, I thought about this verse here, and, and almost you can almost just click on the news each day. And we can see it lived out in so many different ways. Uh, claiming to be wise, claiming to be so knowledgeable about so many things, and yet being fools, being foolish always trying to dismiss what God created, what God intended, whether it be the, the definition of marriage, whether it be a gender, gender roles, morality, whether it be fairness as defined by whomever or whatever it is, taking what God had created, what God intends and twisting it and changing definitions and trying to justify and dismiss and push aside suppressing the truth. Are we not seeing that lived out in our area, in sphere of life. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And exchanging the glory of an eternal God, what should lead us to worship instead leads mankind to start to create his own idols, his own objects of worship, whether it be man or animals or creeping things or whatever else we can come up with to be worshiping. It's all about our worship. As we see all of creation, it should drive us to our knees in worship. Oh my goodness, what an amazing God. I need to know more about this God. And then going to his revealed revelation where he gives great detail of who he is. It's all about worship. Just remember this. We are created worshipers. We are always worshiping someone or something. We're created to worship. Sometimes we're worshiping the creator of the universe. And sometimes I'm worshiping myself or I'm worshiping created things. But we're always worshiping something. We're created worshipers. 
I reflected, was reflecting on that and this passage and creation and, and thought, so this creation that is so evident and obvious for all to see that leads us to the point of being without excuse. So, so, so what are some things that, that we see? Do we see that? We know in Colossians 1 that actually the creator is the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Galatians 1 tells us that it was Jesus who spoke the world into existence. And it's Jesus who actually had that role of creation there amongst the Godhead. And that Jesus, here's some things about creation. You ready for this? Understanding this, do you know that the earth is the precise distance from the sun? Do you know if the earth was a little closer to the sun, we would burn up? If the, if the earth was a little further away from the sun, we would freeze, not be able to, to sustain life? Do you know that the, uh, this is the, the, the exact rotation of the earth? If it was off a tenth on either way, the rotation of the earth, that, that it would be fatal to human life. Did you know that the earth is just the right size to have in the gravitational pull, if it was smaller or bigger, it would not be able to sustain life. Did you know, I did not know this one, the earth's crust actually is just the right thickness. If the earth's crust was, uh, was 10 feet thicker, that the, the metallic uh, substances in the crust would actually mix and, uh, with the um, with the free oxygen in the atmosphere, and it would make it impossible to have animal life. If, if the Earth's crust was actually thinner and the oceans were deeper, the oceans would absorb more CO2, and it, it would prevent plant life from living on Earth. Do you know that the moon is the, is the precise distance from the Earth? If it were farther away, the effects that it would have on the tides that actually would submerge the continents. Do you know that the, the composition of the atmosphere, 78 parts nitrogen, 21 parts oxygen, and one part, I don't know what it is, but just the right balance for us to be able to breathe for what we need to sustain life. The angle of the earth, the angle of the earth as it sits on its axis is 23.5 degrees, which makes it perfect for the seasons so that we can have growing cycles and all that takes place there of vegetation so that we can eat and sustain life. The atmosphere of the earth is just the proper thickness of things to, to absorb the radiation from the sun. If we did not have that atmosphere protecting us from that, that radiation, it would be deadly to all life. You can just go on and on and on about the creation. And how can we look at the creation and not say, wow, what an amazing creator. Amen? Let's hear it. I want to hear wow. It's an amazing creator that we have. And it should drive us to our knees and say, thank you, Jesus. So let me ask you, what are you worshiping here this week? What are we worshiping? We're talking about living by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. It comes down to our worship. In complete dependence and reliance upon 
who God is and the promises that he has made. We can count them. He is faithful. And it should drive us to thanksgiving. It should drive us to reverential all to worshiping our God this week. When's the last time you sat down and just looked around at creation and just had a little worship moment as you see the creativity and the intricacies of what God has made? When's the last time that you've actually thanked him for that? Stopped all of the busyness of our routines and daily life and said, Lord, we praise you. If he can control the universe, I think he can control and deal with my problems. Amen? So let me ask you, what are you worshiping this week? What are you worshiping? 